You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. It is so wonderful to be here tonight, and I'm looking forward to learning a lot of things throughout tonight's class. But before we do so, I would like to just inform our audience. Thank God Hashem has blessed us with a wonderful audience of listeners and viewers on our podcasts and our videos. I just want to introduce them to some of the podcasts they may not know exist, like the Unboxing Judaism podcast, which is a conversation with Rabbi Yaakov Nagel and myself, where we tackle common modern-day questions. We field questions from an audience online. Uh, anybody who has any question, any myth, anything you've ever heard of in Judaism, is it true? Is it that? Ask it. Unboxing at torchweb.org. So that's Unboxing Judaism. We have another podcast called Parsha Review Podcast. My brother, Rabbi Yaakov Obi, has the famous Parsha podcast. And I have the Parsha Review Podcast, which is the cliff notes to Rabbi Yaakov Obi's cl- podcast, summarizing each Parsha clear and concise as possible so that uh, it's not going to be a belabored experience of listening to the class, but rather one which will be hopefully within 20 to 25 minutes. You have the entire portion summarized in a review, a quick review, and it's refreshing, at least for me, uh, after I listen and am able to enjoy a clear and concise review of of each and every Parsha. Then we have another podcast called The Living Jewishly, podcast. And what we attempt to do in this class is every week tackle one full topic of Jewish law. We are uh, in, I think, the sixth chapter right now. It means we've done five podcasts already. And what we're doing is, for example, how do you wash your hands as a Jew? We know there are many times where we're obligated to wash our hands. How do we do that? This class in Living Jewishly podcast, we discuss the laws of everything, the laws of blessings, the laws of kavanah, the laws of uh, going to the restroom, the laws of tzitzit and tefillin and mezuzah and everything else that you can possibly imagine. We're going to hopefully reach all of those topics, making it as concise as possible so that we can have a full review. For those of you who are in the class, we have handouts that are given, and it is absolutely a privilege and an honor to do that as well. Then we have one more podcast, and this is the fifth podcast, and that is the Thinking Talmudist. Thinking Talmudist podcast every week is a different topic. We pick a different piece of Talmud, and I have, Baruch Hashem, had real tremendous assistance from Hashem that we've been publishing these podcasts regularly. Just about every single week, each one of these podcasts has received a new episode or two. And um really, really excited about all of these new, exciting, delightful topics. So join me in these podcast with these podcasts. I'm sorry this was like a four minute infomercial of all of our podcasts, but I think it's important because I bet you they're gonna be people who are gonna send me an email and gonna say, Rabbi Wolby, I never knew these existed. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I you see, I want you to know it's not I am a little selfish. It's not because I need my voice out there. That's not the point. I believe that the greatest responsibility that each and every one of us has in this generation is to share Torah with the world. We need to go out and share Torah. It doesn't, I don't need to be the lecturer, but, uh, yeah, so it's, um, it really is an amazing privilege that we're learning Torah here live in person. We have people here in the classroom. We have people online watching live and people who are going to listen. Hopefully hundreds and hundreds of people are going to be listening to these classes and hopefully be enlightened in their Judaism, in their quest for, for knowledge, in their thirst for wisdom. That's what we're here for, to share the word of Hashem, the word of Torah. And that concludes this infomercial. Okay. It's not only about us, it's about the next generation. We have a whole next generation, the youngsters, the millennials, the Gen Zs, the Gen Gen X, I'm a Gen Xer, right? Who are completely disenfranchised from Judaism, not by their own doing. They've never been properly, you know, I, I was that. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. I was that. 
when until I was about 16, 17 years old. Yeah, I was, I was a, I was what you call, you know, there's something called from, from birth. FFB is a from, from birth, someone who was born religious. I was an FFH. I was from, from habit. From the day I was born, I grew up in a kosher home. I grew up in a Shomer Shabbos home. I never had a doubt about wearing tzitzis or putting on tefillin every day. Never had any questions about it. But I had no idea why I was doing it. I felt like I was a robot. And at about 16, 17 years old, I had a sudden epiphany after watching or listening to a lecture that I learned for the first time in my life the reason for a mitzvah. It's not even the full reason. Now learning it, there's like hundreds of more reasons. But I only heard one, and I was dancing on the roof. I, I, I couldn't believe the beauty of the Torah and how come I never knew this before. And I remember going to the payphone in Yeshiva in Jerusalem and calling my father and telling him, you will not believe what I just heard. And I told him what I just heard. I told him the mitzvah that I, it was just it was mind-boggling to me. You know why? I said, if every single Jew knew what I knew, there's no way in the world they wouldn't embrace the Torah. There's no way in the world. If a Jew experienced a true Shabbos, one full true Shabbos, they will never neglect Shabbos ever again. All we need is one experience. And if we're able to influence someone to make even the slightest adjustment in their life to experience a positive Jewish experience, whether it be education, like you're saying, Terry, right? Or it be, you know, showing them the right way the Torah tells us how to conduct life. Torah gives us instructions. You know that every law in every single country is based on Judaism. They have rules based on Judaism. So Hashem should bless us. We should all merit to influence those around us and to be a shining light to the world. We're now heading towards the, the the holiday of Hanukkah. And like we mentioned, we put the menorah by our front window. We display it with honor. Number one, not to be shy of our Judaism. Not to be shy of it. Be proud. Wear it on your sleeve. But also, take responsibility to shine the light to the world. Our job is to shine the light to the world. My dear friends, let's go for it. All right, we are on page 44 in this magnificent Bitachon book by Rabbi Lazer Brody. If you don't have a copy, you can get it. It's very cheap on Amazon or here at the Torch Center. Everybody has a copy here. And we are up to page 44, first aid. What then may a person appeal to Hashem with in times of trouble? What do we appeal to Hashem with? What do we do? The answer is Bitachon. Hashem, only you can help me. Nothing can rescue me. Beloved Father in heaven, I trust in you only. Then, according to our Psalm 33 check that bears King David's signature, Hashem looks to us with mercy. We learn from King David that the first aid on the scene to rescue ourselves from trouble, panic, or anxiety is to call Hashem's name. Do whatever you must. Scream, yell, go out to the forest and shout. The important thing is to be sincere. Don't hide your feelings. King David promises that Hashem will be right there with a person in trouble. For Hashem is close to all who call him in earnest. Karov Hashem lechol korav asher yikiru'uhu be'emet. Ritzon yireyav God is right there. All we need to do is call out to Hashem. We call out to Hashem and he's there. King David certainly practiced what he preached. Under duress that defies description, he cries out, Out of the straits I called Hashem. He answered me with divine widening. In other words, Hashem loosened the troubles that were about to choke him. Living from one tribulation to the next, King David shouts in similar fashion, Out of the depths, Imam Akim, Karati Ya. I have called out to you, Hashem. When King David talks about the depths drowning in an abyss of troubles, he is referring both to material and spiritual ailments. Eliphaz chastises Job and says that the person who fails to trust in Hashem falls into darkness and doesn't believe 
that there's a way out. That person is overwhelmed by distress and anguish because of his haughtiness. He hasn't turned to Hashem, as we mentioned earlier. Whereas humility and bitachon are in the inseparable, again, whereas humility and bitachon are inseparable, arrogance and bitachon are mutually exclusive. So let's understand. If a person doesn't have the humility to realize that Hashem is in control of every single thing that goes on in the world, that Hashem is there to take care of me, Hashem is right there by my side, that Karov Hashem l'chol korav. Hashem is close to all those who call for Him. All those who need Hashem. Guess what? Hashem is right there. Karov Hashem l'chol korav. Asher yikru'uhu be'emet. Be sincere. Be genuine. Talk to Hashem. He's right there. But do you know what it requires? It requires humility. Humility to realize that I'm not in control, that I don't have all the answers. Do you know that it is impossible for someone to pray and be arrogant? Someone who's arrogant can't bow in front of Hashem and say, Hashem, please, I need your help. Someone who's arrogant feels like he's got it all. He's got it all. On the... Someone who's arrogant can't either have bitachon. Someone who's arrogant can't put, put, put their trust in Hashem. Why not? Because it's all me. I'm capable of doing everything. I don't need Hashem. So the antithesis of trust in Hashem, the exact opposite of trust in Hashem is arrogance. The partner in trust in Hashem is humility. You need to have humility to realize, you know what? There are times that Hashem puts us down intentionally so that, so that what? So that we wake up and realize Hashem is right there. An example to that is in this week's Torah portion. Next week's Torah portion. Every Torah portion that you see in Genesis. You see someone who was born barren, right? We had Sarah, our matriarch. We had Rebecca, our matriarch. We had Rachel, our matriarch, next week, who were barren. They were not capable of having children. Not that they didn't have children. They weren't capable of having children. Yet, what did Hashem want from them? He wanted their humility and their trust in Him. That's it. What comes with that? Prayer. Talk to Hashem. And prayer is so powerful. It is so powerful to just open up our lips and talk to Hashem with our heart. That's it. That's it it takes. It doesn't take, it's not so, you know, I, I mentioned this in the past. I was once teaching a prayer class. It went, went on for a long time, several years. We had this class. And after one of the class, after each of the classes, Every Shabbos, I would try to encourage the people to go into the into the uh, synagogue, into the main sanctuary. So one guy says to me, he says, Rabbi, prayer is not for me. It's not for me. I said, here, have a seat. Let's talk about this. She says, very simple. He says, I, I used to go to synagogue all the time. I like the people. I like the environment. I like the songs. He says, but it's so frustrating. He says, I come into synagogue and all I'm doing is shuffling pages back and forth, trying to find where the chazan is holding. And by the time we're done, I'm out of breath. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm all worn out by the time prayer is over. And I'm frustrated that the entire time I didn't even know what was going on. I said to him, well, I hate to break it to you. That's not prayer. Prayer, close your prayer book and open your heart. Close your eyes and talk to Hashem. That's prayer. And for that, you don't need to be in a synagogue. You don't need to be in shul. You don't need to have a prayer book. You can be anywhere. You can be in your office by your desk and talk to Hashem. You can be at the library and you can be at the bank and you can be at the supermarket. You can be anywhere in your car. Don't close your eyes though. But you can be in your car and talk to Hashem. And Hashem craves our conversation with him. You know what it says? Ritzon yireyav yaseh. Hashem does the will of his friends. Who are his friends? Those who communicate with him. Talk to him. Build a relationship. Another thing, a very important in, in King David teaches us, vidor she Hashem lo those who seek Hashem, those who talk to Hashem, will not lack anything. 
Lo yachsuru kol tov. Nothing. You won't lack anything. How is that possible that someone doesn't lack anything? Because you're Hashem's friend. He says, I got you covered. I'll take care of you. That's the goal. The goal is to be in a situation, to be in a place where we have a close relationship with Hashem and we can talk to Hashem straight out in the open. So, now we continue on page 46 about Gamzu Litova. So we know the story about Nachem Ish Gamzu. There are, in fact, multiple stories written in the Talmud about situations that seem to be troubling. We studied it. We, we mentioned it in our Talmud class a long time ago. So maybe we'll do a review sometime soon in our Thinking Talmudist series. Gam Zulatovas, this too, what seems to be troubling and what seems to be wrong and what seems to not be going my way, Gam Zulatova, this is also for the best. How? I have no idea. And we're not just talking ourselves into it. It really is. We have no idea why. When you lose that job and you're like, God, how can you do that to me? Don't you know I have to pay rent? How can you do that to me? Only for another door to open that never would have been available to us had we still been been happy in our old, old job. We would never have these new opportunities. So all is for the best. We just learned that calling out to Hashem is the key to the after-the-fact mindset of Bitochon. A person facing a challenge calls out to Hashem and yearns for salvation. That's fine, one might say. But what does one do until he or she sees the hoped-for salvation? As our book this is Rabbi Brody's other book, which we have over there on the table, The Three Words of Emunah, elaborates in detail, we hold on to our Emunah, that, as we say in Hebrew, Gam Zu Latova, this too is for the very best. How do we know that? What is the basis of our believing that everything Hashem does is truly for the best? These three points, foundations of our Emunah, are also the best way to strengthen ourselves under fire until we see salvation we remind ourselves these three things. What are they? Number one, everything in the world comes from the Almighty. That's the first fact. Number two, the Almighty is my loving Father in heaven who loves me much more than I love myself. And number three, since since everything comes from the Almighty and He loves me so very much, whatever is happening to me right now is certainly for my very best. So let's see what each each one of these are. Everything in the world comes from the Almighty. So this is... A, this is Again, we we said that when we started to learning about Bitachon of trust in Hashem, we already established that this lays on the fundamental principle that there is a Hashem. There is a God. Rabbi Brody writes here, see our book, 13 Principles of Amuna. First of the Rambam's 13 principles of faith, namely that Hashem is creator and director of every creation. And he alone did, does, and will do every deed. This is a very common theme. In fact, in preparing our notes for this week's class in the Living Jewishly podcast, so one of the things we talk about is what are the kavanas that one is supposed to say God's name with. Kavana is the intention, the focus. When you say Hashem's name, you're supposed to think about what? Well, it depends how it's written. Depends how it's written. But one of the fundamental principles, when we say the regular name of Ah, Do, and then Nai, when we say that name of Hashem, we're not supposed to say it as one name. It's one of the things that we'll learn this week about not saying Hashem's name in vain. But when we say that name of Hashem, it's Hayahoveviyah. God was, He is, and He will be. And He reigns, controls the world. Everything that was, everything that is, and everything that will be is a creation of Hashem. And Adon HaKol, master of all. There is nothing that Hashem cannot control. There is nothing that Hashem can't do. You know, someone, I was talking to someone today, he was mentioning that we know there's something called the past, present, and future. Some of our sages say there's no such thing as present. Because this very moment is either going to be in the past or in the future. This very moment, right now, the present is already gone. When I say the word present, it's already in the past. But there is this concept of the now. 
the very existence that we have at this moment, holding this cup of coffee right now, is a creation of Hashem. Mechadesh betuvo b'chol yom tamed. Hashem recreates everything. Ma'asebereshes. The creation of the world is created anew at this very moment. So every circumstance can change in an instant. If Hashem wills it. But Hashem conducts each and every one of our lives in the exact best way for each and every one of us as an individual. Number two, the Almighty is my loving Father in heaven who loves me much more than I love myself. This concept is explicit in the Torah, written repeatedly in the Gemara and Zohar, and firmly embedded in our daily liturgy. In our prayer, we see how Hashem loves us. Hashem gives who gives more to whom? Hashem gives more to us, or do we give more to Hashem? Hashem gives more to us, so He loves us more. Not because He gives, but because He gives. Meaning, it's not because He loves us that He gives us, but it's because He gives us that He loves us. It's a big mistake that young guys and gals make when they're getting married. They're like, I want to, I want to love someone, and that's what I'll give to. No, it's wrong. First, be a giver and then be a lover. Find the person I want to give to and that's the person I'm going to love. The person you give to is the person you're going to love. The whole world we're living in today is such a backwards world. It's what can I take first and then I'll see if it fits my schedule to also give them in return and then maybe love them someday. It's, it's, a, it's an upside down world. It's just exactly. It's the iPhone, right? It's the i. It's everything's about the i. It's the iPhone generation. The firmly embedded concept that we see throughout Judaism of Hashem's love for us. Hashem's love for us is endless, knows no bounds. And the third principle is that since everything comes from Hashem and He loves us more than we can possibly imagine. Whatever is happening to me right now is certainly for my very best. Why? A beloved Father in heaven who also rules and operates the world will always do what's best for each of us with no exception to the rule. The Gemara in Tractate Tani tells us that Nachum Ish Gamzu was sent as a representative of the entire Jewish people of the land of Israel to the Roman emperor. And he carried a treasure chest full of precious gemstones to give to the emperor on their behalf. During the night at an inn, he stowed the treasure chest in a secret hiding place. While he slept, the innkeeper switched the chest with a different one. Instead of having this beautiful, beautiful gift, they put dirt in this chest. The next morning, when Nachemish Gamzu was already on his way to Rome, he discovered that there were no longer diamonds and rubies inside. Instead, the entire strong box was filled with sand. Nachumish Gamzu said, Gam Zu Litova. This too is for the best. And continued on his way in complete confidence. Because his bitachon was so strong, internalized in every one of his extremities, that he knew that Hashem was doing everything for the best. Nachumish Gamzu entered the palace in Rome and said to the emperor, Caesar, because of our great respect for you, my people are presenting this gift to you. The emperor opened the chest and saw the sand. He thought, well, there must be something else underneath it. He sifted through the sand. He dug his hand into one side of the chest, then in the other, where all he found was sand. He was infuriated. For mocking me, the Caesar said, I'll have you put to death. Nachumish Gamzu merely shrugged his shoulders and said matter-of-factly, Gamzu Latova. This, too, is for the best. Suddenly, one of the Caesar's advisors walked in. The Talmud says that it was Elijah the prophet disguised as a Roman senator. What are you talking about, Your Excellency, he declared. Do you think the Jews are so stupid? Do you think they are so foolish that they'd give you simple sand? This must be the same sand that Abraham, their patriarch, used when he fought against the four kings. Abraham single-handedly conquered the most powerful kings of his time. Do you know how he did it? He possessed magic sand. 
He threw it into the air, and the sand turned into deadly spears and arrows. Really? responded the emperor. Let's try it out. Caesar's army was fighting a fierce battle against revolutionaries in their neighboring province. He sent this chest of magic sand to the front lines with his soldiers, and they began to throw handfuls of sand towards the enemy. Lo and behold, sand became a devastating barrage of arrows that routed the enemy. In a day or two, the Roman army was able to reconquer the entire province. The emperor thanked Nachomish Gamzu, saying, Because you did this for me, I'm going to reward you with a chest of gold and silver. Take it back to your people and tell them that if they should ever need anything, they should come to me. I'll be happy to oblige them. On his way back home, Nachomish Gamzu stopped at the same inn. The proprietor asked him, What gift did you bring the emperor? that he showed you such honor. Nachemish Gamzu replied, I brought a, a strong box with magic sand to the emperor. He loved it. The innkeeper heard this and said to himself, Wow, that's the sand of my backyard. So he filled up an entire wagon full of the sand. He brought it to the emperor and said, Do you know that sand Nachemish Gamzu brought you last week? This is the same type. The emperor was overjoyed and immediately sent the wagon of sand to the troops, when the magic sand turned out to be a sham, the infuriated emperor sent the crooked innkeeper to the gallows. Like King David and many others of our righteous luminaries throughout history, Nachumish Ganzu had an excruciatingly difficult life. Yet his bitachon, in the bleakest of times, show us how bitachon not only invokes divine compassion, but miracles as well. The greatest miracle it guarantees us is inner peace in the face of life's most challenging adversity. So what Rabbi Brody here is sharing with us is sort of something so fascinating. Anybody who's ever experienced a moment, even one solitary moment of stress, anxiety, worry, concern, there's only one reason for it. Only one reason. We've become accustomed, you know, to, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. You know, last week was Black Friday. What happens on Black Friday? It's a very, very powerful experience. People are able to acquire things by a click of a button without getting out of their seat. They could be sitting on their chair at work. They could be sitting on a couch. They don't have to do anything. And magic, it shows up at their doorstep the next day. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? It's, un it's the most remarkable thing. You know what that does to a person? It makes a person feel arrogant. It makes a person feel powerful. And it's a very, very challenging because our, our... You see, a lot of people today suffer from anxiety. A lot of people suffer from this worry, concern, what's going to be. I, uh, they're anxious about so many different things. Why are they anxious? Why does anyone get anxious? Because we're not in control. I think that addiction is growing more and more. The addiction to be in control grows more and more the more we're in control of other areas of our life. Seemingly, we're able to control so many things. You know, there are people who can control every light in their home from their phone. Every light, the, the thermostat is controlled, the cameras are controlled, everything is controlled. You can control your entire environment, except a few things. And then when we're not in control of those things, what happens? We go crazy. I'm not in control suddenly. And when I'm not in control, I can't handle it. So there are, there are a number of things that a person needs to do Number one is recognize that there's a God. He's a creator of heaven and earth, and he's going to give me exactly what I deserve. He's going to give me exactly what's best for me, not what my, what's best for my friends, not for what everyone has convinced me is the best thing in the world. He's going to give me what's the best thing for me. That's point number one. Point number two is, am I going to be humble enough to allow God in and to allow him to work things through? You know, there's a special prayer for teachers that the words that I teach should 
find favor in the ears of my disciples, of my students. When I would walk into my grandfather's house on a Tuesday, my grandfather would give his biggest, his largest lecture to about two and a half thousand people in the Mir Yeshiva in Jerusalem. He'd give a discourse every Tuesday night. And I'd come Tuesday afternoon, my grandfather would be locked in his study. And then finally I'd get a chance to come in and ask him a question or I'd say, Nu, Saba, did you prepare something to say? He says, Nu, if Hashem gives me what to say, I'll have what to say. Because how many times have we prepared and they didn't have what to say? How many times did we not prepare? And it was the best speech we've ever, we've ever said. Many times I'll sit and I'll prepare a tremendous, tremendous amount of time before class. I'll, I'll spend like for our Thursday morning class, the 10 a.m. class, I probably spent already this week 10 hours preparing. It's a lot of work. Hopefully internalizing them, hopefully being able to share them in an, in an, in an effective way. But what's really remarkable is that Hashem shows who's in control. Because there are times where my preparation is nil. And the result of the class is the best. And there's sometimes I can prepare for hours and hours and hours, and the class is a total flop. Recently, there was a class that I taught here. I'm not going to say which one. But there was a class that I taught here that I spent weeks and weeks preparing that class. I did a tremendous amount of research and had so much notes. I wrote pages and pages and pages of notes. Finally, I gave the class. And I never published the podcast of it. I was like, that was one of the worst classes I've ever given. You know why? Because all we need to do is open the door and say, Hashem, you've got this. But sometimes, because we prepare so much, we're like, I've got this. I've got this. No, 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 no. You've got nothing. You've got nothing. Allow Hashem to take care of it, and then it flows. And then it's the best it can possibly be. Why? Because if that's what Hashem made it be, that's what it should be. You allow Him in, He'll take care of it. But if you try to keep it for yourself, you're limited to your own your own abilities. Yeah, so the, we all have our experiences like Nachamish Gamzo. We just have to let go. What's going to be? I don't. I, it doesn't doesn't make a difference. The results at the end of the day. You know, I want to share with you an incredible story. There was a man who, during the Omer, there's a, a restriction. It says because it's a time of mourning. The Omer is the days between. Pesach and Shavuot, between the holiday of Passover and Shavuot. And it's a time where we don't listen to music. It's a time where we don't we don't shave our beards. We don't take haircuts. So there's an individual who came to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and says, I have a big, big meeting tomorrow on a very, very big business deal. I want to know if it's okay for me to shave. You know, for the business deal, it should look like a mensch. So the rabbi's like, no. Malacha says not to. And therefore you shouldn't. So after this individual leaves Herb Moshe Feinstein's house, he says, what does Herb Moshe Feinstein know of business? What does he know? What does he know? He doesn't understand what, what, what it means to, to close a deal. And he doesn't understand. And he shaves. Comes to the business meeting the, the next day. And everything is going smoothly. To the last second before the guy's signing, about to sign this document, this agreement, he says to the guy, you know, how, how do I know that I can trust you? He says, well, you, you know, I'm an Orthodox Jew. I'm an Orthodox Jew. I believe in the Torah. I follow Hashem's teachings. And if I'm committed to the Almighty, I'm committed to the word of honesty he says, you're an Orthodox Jew? Don't Jews have a custom not to shave during these days? He says, yes, but, but he says, no, 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 you're, you, I can't trust you. And the deal was over. He walked away from the deal. If you're not trustworthy to your God, how do I know you're going to be trustworthy to our agreement? Right, so we think like, oh, me, I know. 
we have to do the right thing. We always have to do the right thing. And the results, leave the results for Hashem. We're going to see that there's a, we mentioned previously that there's a sliding scale of hishtadlus, which is effort, versus bitachon. Bitachon is trust. So how much effort do I need to put forward and versus how much trust? And our sages tell us, depends at what level of bitachon you're at. If you're at the highest level, 100% bitachon, you need zero effort. That means you don't need to buy a ticket for the lottery. You'll win it without it. Someone told me that he, he had 100% bitachon, that he was going to win the lottery, uh, recent, the recent one, the big one. So I said, okay, how many tickets did you buy? He said, I bought two. I said, why do you need to buy two? If you have 100% bitachon, you don't need to buy any. But let's say you only buy one. Why do you need to buy two? Two means you don't trust. So let's say you buy one. Now you created a vessel that Hashem can bring that, that success to you. Two. Lacking trust in Hashem. Either way, he said, yeah, I thought it was a mistake. It's, it's funny because I remember my grandfather, my, my, my maternal grandfather, like when there was one of these big lotteries and everyone's going to the store to buy a lottery. So I went with him. They were visiting in Muncie and I went with him to the 7-Eleven and he bought some. And he was busy like doing all these calculations of like, he has to pick 26 because that's Hashem's name. He picked 36 because that's twice high. Like he was doing all these guys. Didn't win anything, but it's fine. Put it together, all of these magic numbers. You know, 52 is another name of Hashem. Twice. It's like, it's, uh, people get all superstitious about this, but it's, no, nah, I didn't win. I'll tell you what. I, I'm not even sure that winning a lottery is that good of an idea. Yeah. They're unhappy if they're alive. They're unhappy. Most are unhappy if they're even alive a year later. That's true. And the reason is because suddenly everybody loves them and everybody wants to be with them, right? It's, it's real, really tragic. Yep. All right. We're on page 51. New chapter. Chapter four. Chapter four. Hishtadlus and the levels of bitachon. This chapter addresses the question of hishtadlus. The effort each person is required to invest in order to make a living. A classic rule of thumb says that the greater the bitachon, the less the hishtadlus. In other words, the more a person trusts in Hashem and truly believes that Hashem is the provider, the less he or she needs to work. The opposite is even more obvious. For the more a person goes to great lengths to attempt to make money, the less he or she trusts in Hashem. For they believe that were it not for their efforts, they'd starve. If I don't leave anything to Hashem, it's only me, me, me. It's my effort and my work and my talent and skill and ability and Finesse in the job, right? You're an attorney, right? Me, I'm a good attorney. That's why I make money. No. Hashem has blessed you and given you, given you success. How many lawyers do we know that, that can't earn a, earn a living? Plenty. What, they're not smart? They're brilliant. It's not that Hashem doesn't give bread to the wise. That's not the definition of success. Okay. Some people don't work enough and others work too much. Excessive or insufficient hishtadlus. Hishtadlus again means effort. Is the result of one's mistaken assessment of one's true place along the continuum of no bitachon to absolute bitachon. This chapter aims to prevent that by acquainting us with the levels of bitachon. Once we're familiar with the levels of bitachon, we can better discover our individual happy medium between bitachon and ishtados. Many have suffered income, marital, and even emotional problems by wrongly assessing themselves and thinking that they were on a higher level of bitachon than they really were. Therefore, we don't ever want to fool ourselves and instead learn to assess ourselves candidly. Every person must make the necessary effort in earning a living, but not more than that. More toil than necessary in gathering income is a lack of bitachon. Meaning, yeah, put your product up on the, on the website, try to make a sale, but don't rely on that to be the key to your success. Meaning, yeah, make an effort, but the effort doesn't, doesn't equal success. And by the way, if someone has a very high level of bitachon, they can succeed without any effort. 
Someone just knocks on your door and says, hey, I need furniture for the rodeo. It comes out of, th- out of thin air without making a phone call, without making a marketing, no special, no Cyber Monday or Black Friday or no specials, nothing. They just show up. How? Someone who has the proper bitachon, someone who has the proper trust in Hashem, Hashem brings it to them. The lesson of the mana. The mana was the miraculous food substance that fell each day from heaven during the 40-year period that the Israelites wandered in the desert, sustaining them from the time they left Egypt to the time they entered the land of Israel. The first time the manna descended from the sky, the Israelites didn't know what it was. Who had ever seen crystals of honey cake dropping from heaven, which can be molded together and shaped into any shape, tasting like anything you desire to eat at the time? They all asked in their spoken jargon at the time, Man who? What is this? Moses answered that this is their heaven-sent bread. Amazingly, the five Hebrew letters in man, who, when rearranged, create the Hebrew word of Amuna. The Torah is conveying the message that our sustenance comes from the Almighty above and not from our toil below. So just, just an interesting thing. Think of, this, think of this for a second. The Jewish people leave Egypt. We go into where? We go into the desert. What do we have in the desert? There's no vegetation. There's no fruits. There's nothing. There's no water either, by the way. And yet they're living in the miracle of Hashem's gifts. They're living with the food. The sustenance is the, the manna. And they have the water, which comes from a rock. Just, by the way, just a beautiful, beautiful idea. Beautiful idea. You know, what happened the two times that Moshe had to get water out of a rock? The first time Hashem says, hit it. He hits it. And water comes out. The second time Hashem says, talk to the rock. And he hits it. And Hashem punishes him that now he can't enter the land of Israel. What's going on over here? It is an unbelievable idea. The Jewish people who left Egypt left slavery. They were accustomed to a very tough, rough life. Their children, however, were trust babies. They grew up with a tremendous amount of wealth. They grew up with mana at their doorstep. They grew up with a totally different experience. Moshe's the leader. Moshe's the educator. When the first generation was receiving the water, how can you educate them with a stick? But by the time the trust babies were there, you know how you educate them? With words. So Moshe disqualified himself from entering the land of Israel because he demonstrated that he didn't understand his generation. It was a different generation. And every it's, it's amazing because the way in which we grew up was a lot firmer, a lot more stricter than you have today. Today, a teacher that spanks a kid will sit in prison. Anybody here that wasn't beat up as a child <laughs> in school? The reality is that the Jewish people are sitting in the desert. They are recognizing every moment that there's a miracle going on here. But the minute they enter the land of Israel, they're like, we're homeowners now. Now we've got, we've got, right, we've, we've, we've made it in life. So why didn't they continue to have mana? The answer is, we do have mana. Every single day, every single paycheck you get is mana. The question is whether or not you're going to merit to recognize that it's mana. When the Jewish people entered the land, the mana didn't stop. The recognition that it was mana stopped because it came in different forms. And that same mana is falling today, every single day. Every single time you make another deal, you close another transaction, that is mana that Hashem is sending your way. Interesting that it's called money and mana. We are experiencing mana every single day. The question is whether or not we're going to open up our eyes and our hearts to recognize this gift. That's the question. The mana teaches a great lesson in Bitachon. Each person would receive a daily allotment. This was the portion called an omer, 
sufficient to satiate an individual for one day. Hoarding mana from one day to the next was forbidden. Those who tried to stockpile mana were rudely awakened to discover that the excess mana became worm-infested and unfit for consumption. The prohibition against stockpiling was intended to teach the Israelites that Hashem provided each individual with his or her needs every single day. In other words, the mana was a divine lesson in bitachon. Miraculously, meaning, if you were stockpiling mana, that just meant one thing. You don't trust that Hashem is going to provide for you tomorrow. It's like the financial security equivalent in our generation, where people are like, what's going to be if? What do you mean? Hashem is going to disappear when you're 80 years old? Hashem is not going to be there to take care of you? Miraculously, the Israelites would receive a double portion of manna on Friday, enough to provide their needs for the Shabbos as well. This enabled them to observe the Shabbos without having any need to work or search for sustenance. In addition, to further enhance this miraculous phenomenon, the double portion would remain entirely fresh on the Shabbos as opposed to during the week, when it would have become spoiled. The manna is therefore also teaching us that Hashem commanded us to observe the Shabbos, but also give us the wherewithal to do so. These lessons of Betochen are just as relevant today as they were 3,300 years ago. If we had perfect spiritual eyesight, we would see that Hashem gives us our sustenance on a daily basis, as King David declares, All eyes look towards you, for you give them their food right on time. You open your hand and satiate every living thing with favor. The Nitziv of Elijah, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, writes, that anyone who violates the Shabbos because of income is sorely lacking in Amuna. The Tsar goes even further and says that the blessing of income on the six days comes from the observance of the seventh day's sanctity. It's like imagine if someone had a, you know, those big water pitchers they use in, in ballparks and they have a spout. You can put your cup and you get them some water out. So imagine what a great invention it would be if you had one that had six spouts. Right? It would be cool. So six people can get water at the same time. But I come up with a better idea. I'll put a seventh spout, and now I'm going to get more water out. Are you going to get more water out or what? No, you're just going to use up the water that's in there faster. The six days of the week, we're promised how much money we're going to earn every Rosh Hashanah. There's a judgment in the heavens of exactly how much you're going to earn. Whether it is you work one day, six days, or seven days. In fact, if you work seven days, you're losing it because it says that there's no blessing to it. So it's only going to take away that income that you make on that seventh day to a flat tire, to a leak, to a uh, you know electrical issue. There's not going to be any blessing to it. So it takes away the blessing of the other six days. But a person who works on six days and rests on the seventh is not going to lose anything. So a free day off that Hashem gives us. In light of the above, we see that the divine mechanism of providing our daily sustenance is virtually the same today as it was in the time of the mana. The difference is that today it's concealed to test our bitachon. Let's summarize the first two lessons of the mana. Number one is we receive sustenance daily from above. And number two, observing the Shabbos does not cause a decrease in income. Indeed, it generates a blessing of income. We now continue to learn our third lesson of the mana, the th three levels of bitachon. Third lesson of mana, the three levels of bitachon, the Gemara in Tractat Yoma 75a describes three levels of people who received the mana as follows. Number one is those with absolute trust in Hashem, they received their daily allotment of mana at their doorstep. Number two, second category, is those with moderate trust in Hashem, they had to leave their home and go outside the camp to gather their daily allotment of mana. And then the third category of people were those with little or no trust in Hashem, they had to sojourn great distances and exert much effort in search of their daily allotment of mana. This third lesson, as we are about to see, applies today just as it did 
during the Israelites' 40 years in the desert. While observing the characteristics of each group, we simply substitute the word income for the word mana. And lo and behold, the three levels of people who received the mana become the three levels of people who receive their income, or more concisely, the three levels of bitachon. Level one is absolute bitachon. Level two is moderate level of bitachon. And level three is little or no bitachon. Each level of bitachon corresponds to a progressively different level of hishtadlos. Hishtadlos is effort. As in the above-mentioned Gemara's description, we assume that bitachon, having trust in Hashem, and hishtadlos, putting forward effort, are inversely proportionate. The more the bitachon, the less the hishtadlos. The more the trust, the less the effort is required, and vice versa. The less the bitachon, the more the hishtadlos, the more effort you must put forward. Some of our sages disagree with that assumption. Among our sages, there are a priori proponents of each level. As we are about to see, some hold that Hashem expects a person to study Torah day and night with no effort in pursuing a living. Others hold that one should pursue a living, but with minimal effort. The third group maintains that since we are here in the physical world, we must not rely on miracles, but do whatever we must to make a living. The above distinctions of three levels of bitachon is a bit problematic on a practical basis. Since the vast majority of people cannot objectively assess their own level of bitachon, they are unable to identify which group they belong to. What's more, many others fool themselves into thinking that they are on a higher level than they really are. They think that if they were with the Israelites in the desert, they'd get their mana on the front doorstep, when in reality they'd have to walk miles in the desert to gather their daily portion. Our sages therefore redefined the levels of bitachon and spoke of them as systems of ishtadlos. Whereas we have difficulty identifying our individual true level of bitachon, we are all aware of the hishtadlos we perform in pursuing a living as well as how much of our day is devoted to Torah study and divine service. You know, the rabbis always say, you know, one of the challenges you have, people who are observant and keep the Torah and go pray in synagogue, so they many times there's a big challenge because they have to run out of shul early to get to work. Right, but it's antithetical to what we're talking about here. Why? Because, one second, what's going to provide you more success, the prayer or the work? Yeah, but I have to put forward my effort. Right? But who says the effort needs to be in the office? Maybe the effort needs to be in relying on Hashem and talking to Him. Say, Hashem, I need your assistance from above. I don't think so. I don't think that it shows a lack of trust when someone asks. But, again, there's different ways of asking. There's a way of asking is that you don't really believe he's going to do it. There's a way of asking is that, Hashem, I know that you're going to do it, and I appreciate it, and I thank you in advance. By the way, all of the blessings that we have in the Amidah, they're all in a term of thanking, meaning it's a already foregone conclusion. Hashem will take care of it. God who blesses our, our uh, livelihood. There's no question about it. You're asking to communicate and to, and to reaffirm. You're reaffirming your relationship and commitment to Hashem. I don't think it's, you're not begging, but you're, you're talking to Hashem and you're, you're having a conversation. Say, Hashem, I don't know where my salary is coming from, but I put my full trust in you. That's what davening is. Davening is, is, is building our relationship with God. Davening doesn't mean I'm sitting and begging. It's not a bad thing to talk to Hashem and ask Him, tell Him what your needs are. Even though he knows what those needs are, but he wants us to talk. Look, Sarah, Sarah davened for a baby. Abraham davened for a child. Hashem didn't know she was barren. Hannah and Rebecca and Rachel, they all, they, they had to pray. Exactly. Talk to me. Talk to me. Hashem wants us to talk. Exactly. When you're able to talk it out, you're able to reaffirm your trust in Hashem that he will handle it. Every single day, three times a day, we pray about our bitachon, our trust in Hashem, our reliance, our assurance in Hashem. The 13th blessing of the Amidah is al Hatzadikim, on the righteous, on the devout, on the elders of your people, the family of Israel, on the remnant of their scholars, 
on the righteous converts and on ourselves. May your compassion be aroused, Hashem our God, and give goodly reward to all who sincerely believe in your name. Put our lot with them forever, and we will not feel ashamed, for we trust in you. Ki We trust in you, Hashem. Blessed are you, Hashem. Support and assurance of the righteous. Mishan umivtach, which is the word bitachon, assurance of the righteous. The righteous trust in God. The righteous doesn't mean they're the rabbis. The rabbis can also be lacking trust. Every individual can be a righteous in their trust in Hashem. The less we're worried. The more we realize that everything is from Hashem, we have nothing to worry about. I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to doubt. I have nothing to be anxious about. I have nothing to be nervous about. I know that the right thing is going to come at the perfect time. And we'll just finish up over here. Our sages therefore redefined this, the levels of bitachon and spoke of them as systems of ishtadlos, of effort. Whereas we have difficulty identifying our individual true level of bitachon, of trust in Hashem, we are all aware of the hishtados we perform in pursuing a living, as well as how much of our day is devoted to Torah study and divine service. Therefore, by examining the nature of our hishtados, of our toil, of our efforts, rather than trying to rate ourselves along the full bitachon, no bitachon continuum, we gain a better insight into enhancing our bitachon, strengthening our Torah learning and divine service, and even more, earning all the income we need, not want, need, with working less, as we'll see, God willing, in the next chapter. So, we'll, we'll, we'll pause here till next week, but the idea here is very, very clear. And what, what Rabbi Brody here is sharing with us is brilliantly, is the importance of knowing with a clarity that everything comes from Hashem and letting go. Letting go. We're in the desert. Where are we going to run to? We didn't realize that Hashem put us into this world. Think of it for a second. Hashem, you, 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 anyone here ever, ever see a rabbit in a cage? You know, you bring the kids. The kids like to pet the rabbit and they have the rabbit. Now, what's going to happen if you have a rabbit in the cage and you don't feed it? It's going to die. What's going to be if you have your your goldfish in their in their uh, aquarium and you don't give it food? It's going to die. What happens if Hashem puts us in this world and doesn't give us food? We're going to die. So do we have a, a doubt that Hashem is our master and he's going to take care of us and going to feed us, feed us and take care of everything that we need? Because Hashem put us here because he wants us to do things. He wants us to accomplish. He wants us to build a relationship with him. So what is Hashem going to do? He's going to feed us. He's going to give us every single thing that we need in order for us to accomplish our goal and our mission. Hashem is going to take care of it because Hashem loves us and He wants us to accomplish. It's an interesting thing because it used to be who had the cars? It was the, the wealthy people had the cars. Today that it's so commonplace, that's also something Hashem has to worry for you. Hashem has to make sure because you, won't, you can't go to work. You can't go, you can't do grocery shopping. You can't do anything without it today. That's also taken care of by Hashem. It used to be just the basic sustenance of bread and water. No, no, no. It's everything. The roof on top of your head. Hashem wants you to sleep well. He wants you to eat well. He wants you to be healthy so that you can continue to interact with Him. You can continue to communicate with Him. That's the goal. Hashem should bless us all that we should find unbelievable resources within ourselves to let go. And to understand that we're in Hashem's hands. It's like my little baby. She's three months old. And she knows that when her mom or her dad are holding her, she's in the best place in the world. Are we going to drop her, God forbid? No. No. She has full trust, 100% trust that we're going to hold, that we're going to hold her and take care of her and feed her and give her everything she needs. We are that little baby in Hashem's hand. Where Hashem is going to sustain us. He's going to take care of every one of our concerns. So you're worried about something. You have an issue. You're taken care of. Don't worry. How is it going to be? It doesn't make any sense. No one's ever done it before. Hashem can take care of it. Don't be worried about it. 
Hashem should bless us that we should feel that confidence. We should know that Hashem is there and waiting for us to just put the problem in His hands. Let Him handle it. Because there's no problem that's too big for Hashem to solve. Hashem should bless us to have that success, to have that clarity, and to let go. Amen. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcasts.com.